This year during Lent, Joe and I are looking at the seven last words of Jesus from the cross. Today, the sixth word from John chapter 19. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, in order to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, and so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. And when he had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. According to St. John, the last thing Jesus speaks before he dies is, it is finished. It's important to finish what we start. When I lived in Connecticut, my next-door neighbor was a woman named Mary Fike. Mary was the longtime beloved music teacher at the Old Greenwich Elementary School where my daughter did K through 5. Mary had these two large chocolate dogs called Gigi and Carolina. Gigi and Carolina were dumb as a box of rocks, but they were very sweet and they both had a crush on Dudley, so many mornings a week we, they would be our walking companions, Mary and Gigi and Carolina. Gigi and Carolina are gone now. Friday night, when a 16-seed team beat a number one seed for the first time in the NCAA tournament, for the first time in 33 years and 136 tries, I genuflected to the memory of Gigi and Carolina because Gigi and Carolina were Chesapeake Bay retrievers. Now, what was supposed to happen to the UMBC retrievers on Friday night was what happened to St. Francis, the 16 seed in the women's tournament, when they went up against the invincible Connecticut Huskies. 94 points in the first half. Final score, 140 to 52. Before Friday night, the University of Maryland, Baltimore County was best known for its chess team. 16 national championships, but chess is not an NCAA sport. Before Friday night, when a kid in a Baltimore high school decided to matriculate at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, his classmates would tell him that UMBC stands for you made a bad choice. At the main campus in College Park of the University of Maryland, they say that UMBC stands for University of Maryland Backup College. No more. This is one of those miracles that remind you that sometimes a game is not just a game. I had a blast yesterday drilling down into UMBC. This college was born in 1966. It's only 52 years old. It was founded for the sake of the lower and the middle classes. 21% of its students are African-American. Two of the kids on that basketball team have 4.0 GPAs. A sizable minority of the graduates go on to PhD programs, many at Ivy League schools. Freeman Hrabowski, the president of UMBC for 26 years, is, despite his Polish-sounding name, African-American. He was born and raised in segregated Birmingham, Alabama, and in 1963, he was 12 years old and participated in the, in the Children's Crusade. Bull Connor threw the 12-year-old Freeman into jail for five days in 1963. 
Later, he earned his PhD at, I was glad to hear, from the University of Illinois. This is one of those seminal moments in American history. One TV analyst says, sometimes you just pick a bad day to have a bad day. University of Virginia is one of the greatest basketball programs in the land. The coach, Tony Bennett, said when we needed a key stop or a key bucket, it just wasn't there. We had trouble finishing. Virginia is a great basketball team, but it cannot finish well. And so according to John, the last thing Jesus says before he has no breath to speak with is, it is finished. Now what does John mean for us to hear in there? Is that a cry of despair or a cry of victory? It's a very short word, only three words in English, just one in Greek, tetelestai. The last scene of a film, the end. The last word of a prayer, amen. The ancient Greeks would end their table grace this way, tetelestai. So is this a cry of despair or a cry of triumph? Is, is it, it's over, I'm done, I give up. I'm 33 years old, I'm a convicted criminal, and now it's all over. Or is it a cry of triumph, mission accomplished? Maybe it means I have run the race and I have won. More than finished, attained, accomplished, fulfilled, complete, the end. If you're in business, you have sales objectives or annual targets. These are ends. They're what you're aiming for all year long. So what is finished? Two things, I think. Jesus' life is finished. He's dying at 33, a convicted criminal. But also his mission is accomplished. He's dying, his breath is gone, and his blood is spattering the rocks of Golgotha, and he's not going to be around anymore. So how can I say this is a cry of triumph? Well, as soon as I ask, ask the question, it's answered, right? Because when you have lived as Jesus lived, then you can die as Jesus died. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we're in the same situation, right? The end is coming quickly. Time is short. And so it seems to me that in Jesus' death, there's a lesson for life. A reminder that we're all rushing headlong to the end of our days. And when, like Jesus, you've turned water into wine and made lame beggars walk and blind men see and fed the hungry masses from your own meager store and faced down your demons in the wilderness and your betrayer in the garden and you have never turned aside... Then you can die saying, it's finished, mission accomplished. And so have you turned any water into wine? I don't mean literally. I mean, have you taken the ordinary stuff of your daily existence and made of it something extraordinary? So do something. Life slips away. Learn Chinese. Climb the Matterhorn, or at least Warren Dunes. Hike the Appalachian Trail or at least walk around the block, buy a puppy, see some Rodin sculptures at the institute or some orchids at the garden, plant a garden, but not yet. Find out how to play chess or squash, 
play an accordion or a harmonica, read War and Peace, eat squid, go to South Dakota or Madagascar, do something. In one of Garrison Keillor's stories, a man moves away from Lake Wobegon and disappears for many, many years. Nobody ever hears from him again and they don't know what happened to him. Twenty years go by and the good town folk of Lake Wobegon receive a telegram notifying them that the man had died. And Garrison Keillor writes, when he died, his death caught many by surprise. They hadn't known he was alive. When you die, will you catch some people by surprise because they didn't know you'd been alive? Now, some last words are not so sad, right? Some deaths are not so pitiful. In 1963, Stephen Hawking's doctors just before or after his 21st birthday told him that he was sick with ALS and had two years to live. Actually, he lasted 55 more until he died the other day at the age of 76. So if you saw the film Theory of Everything, you know that his first response to the news of ALS was a severe and lasting depression. He knew that he would eventually lose the ability to speak and to walk and to care for himself, and this sent him spiraling into despair. But then he got a sense of renewed purpose in life. He says, when you are faced with the possibility of an early death, it makes you realize that life is worth living and there are a lot of things you want to do. And so in 1974, Dr. Hawking wrote a paper for the journal Nature in which he argued that black holes are not really black. They actually emit some particles and some radiation before they finally explode and disappear. Paper for Nature was one of the turning points of modern physics. The first step to this elusive goal of the TOE, the T-O-E, theory of everything. Dr. Hawking's advisor at Oxford called that paper the most beautiful paper in the history of physics. Now, he can't have meant that, right? It can't have been more beautiful than Albert Einstein's papers on general and special relativity, but maybe he meant that it was the most beautiful beautiful physical paper written in English. Black holes are not really black. They emit radiation. Do you know what they call the radiation from black holes? It's called Hawking radiation. Stephen Hawking had the most distinctive voice from that voice synthesizer he used. He loved his voice synthesizer, except he only had one complaint. He spoke with an American accent, of all things. It was manufactured in California. So do you know what Stephen Hawking's last words will be? What he wants carved into his tombstone? He wants them to carve into his tombstone the equation that describes Hawking radiation. Some deaths are not so sad and some last words not so pitiful. One last thing and then I'll quit. The best novel I have ever read is Frederick Beekner's account of a monk from the Dark Ages called Godric. That's the name of the saint and that's the name of the book. And one of the most beautiful things about this novel, Godric, is that there is barely a word of more than one syllable. Somehow, Mr. Beekner allows us to hear what an English speaker from the Dark Ages, from the 11th century, would sound like. It's all monosyllabic words. 
It uh, reminds us of what the English language sounded like before it got contaminated with all that Latin. By the way, have you heard of George Carlin's conundrum? He asks, he asks why is monosyllabic such a long word? Anyway, <laughs> at one point in the novel, on their way to Rome to catch a glimpse of Christ's vicar, the Pope, Godric sits with his mother by the bank of the river Ware, and they fall contemplative watching the water rush by. And the mother says to her son Godric, there's two things that charm the eye most. One's flames, but flames I've seen enough to last my life. And the other's water. I watch that river till I think I hear him sing. He sings that all things pass. He sings that winter passes, then comes spring. The old king dies, they crown on you. Pink-cheeked lads and lasses shrivel up like apples on a shelf. There's not a man alive today, but time, like the river himself, will carry him away too. But then after watching the river for a while, the mother says to her son, Come, let's be off. Hitch on your pack. Who knows what dangers lie ahead, but in such goodly company as this. We've not to fear. So what do we fear? Loneliness? Jesus has been there before. And we can never be alone again. Failure? He's been there too. He's defeated it. It's over. Failure can have no power over the children of God because failure had no power over the Son of God. Your own scarred history or disfigured past, some careless word you can't take back or a reckless decision that derailed your life or a fractured relationship you can't put back together. He died for all of that. All that failure and mistake and sin, it's finished. It's not gone, but it's finished. Death? Are we afraid of dying? Even death died that day at Golgotha. He's gone before us. And so let's be off. Hitch on your pack. Who knows what dangers lie ahead, but in such goodly company as this, we've naught to fear. So it's finished. The end. Tetelestai. Amen.